Blog Talk Radio. From Washington, D.C., this is In My Opinion with Caroline. And the In My Opinion team, Stephen Reese, Taquan Etheridge, Brandon Andrews, Trelane Patrick, and Terry Jones. Our mission is to educate by providing stimulating conversations. We may have a difference of opinion, but we are united for change. Listen to this show on the go by downloading from iTunes. Also, like us on Facebook at In My Opinion TV. Welcome to In My Opinion. This is Carol Live. We have a great show this evening. To join this conversation, be sure to join us on the chat line or call the guest line at 347-327-9883 or Twitter by using hashtag in my opinion, TV. Tonight's topic is the relationship between politics and education. Joining us tonight is Jonathan Collins. He's the author of a piece titled Toward the Great Society, an analyst of relationship between politics and underperforming urban schools, and brings a democratic, liberal view to the table. John's school appears Pastor Robin in Malangoo founded the Victory Christian Center School in Charlotte, North Carolina in August of 1989. The school has grown from 165 to over 400 students. He brings a Republican conservative perspective to the issue. Thanks again for being in my opinion. One second. Are you there, Jonathan? Are you there, Jonathan? Uh, Jonathan, Colin? Jonathan Collins <laughs> and John Gould. John's is here. Hey, how you doing? Good to hear from you. Fine. Got a little bit of an echo, sounds like. Can you hear me well? Sorry about that. 
I got disconnected. Sorry. Uh, we have a remaining show. Um, let me, one second. Okay, John. We'll start out with you. So, obviously, education is a big proponent in your family since you guys started a school. Uh, Give us a little background on why your family decided that um, a school should be implemented in conjunction with your church. Well, at the time, I was... um, You can turn it up now. Can you can you hear me very well? Yes. Okay, good, good. At at, at the time when the process began, I was probably coming uh through my seventh grade school year, um, when the process began and um as a child having been in both public in private schools, I think that um, it was important uh, to my father to, um, I think, by what he felt was God leading him um, in terms of the timing, uh, to go ahead and start a school that would um, be truly a Christian school in um, not just name, but in practice and a a full gospel Christian school. Um, there were Christian schools around in Charlotte. In fact, um, I attended three public schools and, let me see, three Christian schools before Victory Christian Center School started in 19... 19- Hello. Hello. Yes. Hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? This is Jonathan. Can you hear me? Jonathan, we hear you. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, Kara, should I continue? Yes, Jonathan, are you there? And yes. Can you hear me? Everyone can hear me now? Yes. We're trying out a new um, conference call phone tonight, which is why we're having a little difficulty. Um, okay. So, yes, Jonathan, so you authored a piece called... Um, Again, the, towards the great society, elements of relationship between politics and underperforming urban schools. In that, what were your findings on um, um, the, the uh, race to what was it called? Oh, the race to the top program. Yes, I'm sorry, race to the top. I'm having a mail block. <laughs> no, no, it's. Um, so basically, um, my piece was more theoretical, right? So I started with more of the theoretical angle, and um, I'm still in, and I'm in the process now of going into the more empirical side. But 
So what we've uncovered initially about race at the top is that the language is as most, you know, as this tends to happen with federal policy is rather ambiguous. So um, they they have a, a core set of charges, you know, that they're urging to see from our schools. Like there were uh, there were five specific things that they were advocating for um, through the policy in itself, and one of them was. Um, it was uh, education. It was a, uh, you know, a college and career readiness uh, from every student who entered a school in America, right? uh, which is a good thing, you know. Whether you coming from uh, the richest community in the country or the poorest community in the country, whether you're white, black, red, green, blue, it doesn't matter. You know, you want your kids to come out college and career ready. But the question becomes, you know, um, how do the how do the communities get involved in def- in defining how we decide what is college and career ready because if we define college and career readiness by one single standard, uh, there's the there's the possibility that a lot of uh, of our kids, especially African American kids, get thrown to the wayside. So um, the my, the point of my article was really to just extrapolate what was going on in the race at the top in the policy and see you know uh, and deal with some sort of theoretical answers that might uh, get us in the direction that we need to go. Good afternoon, Mr. Um, good evening, Mr. Gould. This is Stephen Reese, and I have a question for you. Actually, it's a two-part question. Uh, I enjoy hearing about your uh, Christian-based school. I think you call it a school gospel school. Uh, I wanted to know exactly what that was, and I also wanted to know how you define college and career ready. Okay. Um, well, for me, uh well, basically, what full gospel means is 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 um, the unabated, untampered, um, uh, uh, non-denominational, um, just pure, straight Bible philosophy. Um, there are a lot of different schools. When I when I was in school, I went to the last Christian school I went to was uh, before Victory was uh, a denominational school. One before that was a denominational school, and I went to public school. And uh, before that, I went to public school for three years. And before that, I was in a Christian school um, that I that I think was, you know, um, kind of the nominal Christian school. I'm not going to name names, but it, you know, it's Christian. It was nice. You know, it had a little, little bit of you know, uh, had a Christian Christian overtones, but it wasn't very strong um, in terms of um, of, uh, of teaching the faith uh, to the to the students. And Victor uh, Christian Center School is very strong when it comes to teaching the the word um, unrestricted by denominational uh, doctrines and men's. Uh, uh, traditions. So that that would that would be uh, probably a good explanation of what full gospel means. Um, and it will be another discussion to really go into more detail. <laughs> uh, now, um, I, I would assume you're addressing the the college readiness question to both of us. And uh, I, I'll answer 
Uh, and then I guess I'll let Jonathan answer. You know, um, college readiness, in, in, in my opinion, should be uh, when a student is uh, acceptable to, at minimum, your average uh, four-year university where they can apply and whether or not they're capable of getting a scholarship or will have to find other means of financial aid. Uh, their academic requirements are met for your average university, not necessarily your Harvard or Princeton, but your average university. And I think that that should be pretty much the goal um, of, of every uh, for every graduate of school for 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 a school system for a school itself a private school or uh, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and 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 I agree with the goal. I think uh, you know that's definitely uh, the goal is to be able to funnel uh, our students uh, from our high schools, from our secondary schools, uh, into colleges and universities. One good thing about um, America is that we still have arguably the best um, college and university system in the world, right? I mean, uh, every um, the majority of our states have top uh, top top tier institutions, uh, and then we have a host of historically black colleges and universities to uh, to feed our students into as well. Um, but the the interesting thing about college and career readiness is they aren't the same thing, uh, and they're listed together in the policy. But if you really break it down, you know, these can be two, you know, separate issues. To be college-ready is one thing, you know, certain standards that you must probably meet in, I'd say, what, algebra and, you know, uh, biology, chemistry, these sorts of subjects. But then there's career readiness. Uh, and there's a big article that came out today with uh, an NPR where they were talking about how they're noticing that about half of the tech jobs, um, these tech jobs that are launching people into the middle class and beyond um, don't require uh, bachelor's and graduate degrees. Right? So, you know, here is an entire set of careers um, that aren't being defined by the same parameters as career readiness. So we have to think about these sorts of things when we're making our decisions on how to define college and career readiness as well. So that was a, a great segue to my follow-up question. Uh, I read an article by the Brookings Institute today that mentioned the hidden STEM economy, and I applaud the fact that your schools are providing some type of, I guess, moral uh, structure whereby people can live their lives or whatnot, but I would be interested in how you're preparing them for the new STEM-based slash service-based economy that's focused on science, technology, engineering, and math, because traditionally, smaller private schools or Christian-based schools normally don't excel in those fields. They excel in reading and and also the, the moral fiber. So how are you preparing your kids for the future economy? And I, I give that question to Mr. Collins and Mr. Gould. Um, well, I think that question was mostly directed towards me. I don't know what experience uh, Mr. Collins has, but uh, in terms of uh, private School and private school education, um, uh, participating in it, in it from either from, from either a student or 
teacher or coach or anything in that regard. But uh, I don't know, Jonathan, if you want to take the first one because I took the first one the last time. Well, you know, I, no, I, 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 my pleasure. Um, no, I don't. You know, I don't run my own school. Uh, I'm a graduate student myself, working on my uh, PhD out of UCLA. So I'm over here on the West Coast, where the sun's still out, and uh, so. Um, but and I've had experience teaching students, but I've taught undergraduate students. And I'm originally from Tennessee, and I did some organizing with students, like some college prep things to sort of try to get students applying to school, applying for scholarships and into schools. But as far as like actually running a school, that's not my uh, area of expertise as of yet. Maybe one day, still pretty young, we'll see. But um, as far as thinking about different ways and looking at different things that other people have done uh, to get students uh, steered towards the STEM tracks, uh, and one you have on the federal level, the federal government has been dumping millions and millions of dollars into programs in schools to try to upgrade um, the uh, the tech programs. Actually, uh, U.S. Uh, US, Week, uh, U.S. Education Weekly just released an article where uh, they were talking about how President Obama wants to jump, wants to dump even more money, even more money into technology because they were reading me. They showed that uh, eighty percent, only eighty percent of schools, which is. Eighty percent of schools in America are up to par technologically. They have a broadband connection to the internet established in their schools, but there's still twenty percent of schools that don't have this access, this uh, this access to uh, internet on a regular basis. Uh, and if you zoom in and look at the twenty percent of students, look the twenty percent of those schools that don't have the access, uh, they're going to be found in our uh, inner city urban areas, and they're going to be mostly populated with students of color. Uh, so the next step that the federal government is trying to take is to close that gap, and they anticipate in the next few years that that will jump from 80% to 99%. So that's what's being done on on the wide-scale level. But on an individual school level, you know, that's up to our teachers. That's up to our parents uh, to encourage the use of computers in our homes and the cell phones that we use on a daily basis for more productive uh, uh, behavior, more productive practices. You know, use our cell phones to figure out how to – to do programming, use our computers to figure out how to do to do programming, to build programs to uh, to help uh, to help help everything that we need uh, done in our society. You know, uh, to figure out how to be more efficient with our gas and our electricity. I mean, to really uh, use technology to solve problems on our on a, in our daily lives. And I think that's something that learns, runs a lot deeper than the classroom. It's one of those things that can start in the classroom, but it's about the parents and the teachers and us as community members is all stepping in and uh, and moving that forward. That's interesting. That, and that's, we probably should segue to the political end because um, you guys give us a lot of background on your expertise and, and where you lie with these particular issues. So since, well, you know, you, politically you guys are on different um, sides of the spectrum too, I was wondering what you see – or why is there a partisan divide um, as it relates to Democrats and Republicans as it relates to higher education? Um, well, first let me address that that question. I wanted you know, I was letting Jonathan take the first answer um, <laughs> on the other question about private schools and Christian schools and, and STEM. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of money that's being thrown into our public school system. Where uh, the last I uh, checked, I think we were the number two in the world in expenditures per child. Yet, uh, something like 21st out of 25 top developed nations, and uh, the actual results we're getting out of the money spent. Um, in terms of the the academic achievement of our own students, um, often times probably contrary to popular opinion, um, I like to to look at a lot of things that uh, maybe some people aren't paying attention to, um, but I find that a great many compared to the total number of students are achieving uh, more uh, percentage-wise out of private schools and Christian schools um, uh, than uh, coming out of public schools. And I, I could just use Victor Christian School as an example. I think my eyes were open widest in uh, 05 when I went to my nephew's graduation at Olympic High School at that time that was um, in the top 200 high schools in America. I'm pretty sure they didn't come to our school and, and rate it. But uh, they had a graduating class that was over six times larger than Victory. Uh, and they, it was uh, amazing. They had uh, uh, $2.1 million in scholarships. Uh, from that class, and that was a that was a great big deal for them. It was the most ever. Um, but my jaw dropped because Victory's graduating class had already graduated with 34 students and uh, had more than double the amount in scholarship awards than Olympic High School. Uh, Victory is consistently dominant in academic competitions. In fact, uh, various science and math competitions where we have taken home everything. And when our students go to compete, um, many of the re returning parents in schools want to know who's coming in second. So I don't know... Um, where you get your information from. Um, this year, just one example, because I don't want to go too long, uh, our our uh, rocketry team uh, won our, our region and state competitions and uh, competed uh, in the national competitions uh, and represented our our, our city and state. Um, so I just just want to, uh, you know, make a little bit of correction there. Um, now, in regards to the differences between the ways that Republicans and Democrats, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a, a a misconception there. I think that um, the biggest difference between the two is the approach. Um, towards 
throwing money at the problem. I think that the results that, that we want are the same. Um, I think that, uh, you know, other than the, other than, you know, some of the indoctrination we feel is going on, but, uh, the, the 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 teaching how to how to think I don't you know, I don't necessarily agree with that I don't think most conservatives and I, I would rather use that word over Republican I don't think most conservatives um, agree that we should be teaching children um, how to how to think and how to view the world I think that's the parent's job um, but uh, in the end we want uh, to excel we want the United States to be number one. Uh, in the world in education, and we want to have the best students coming out. Um, but uh, uh, there has been no correlation, no direct uh, uh, results that you could attribute to the graduating students uh, and the high school students. I'm not talking about the elementary school students. We we, we, we do see slight improvements as more funds have been spent over years um, in the elementary uh, school, le- on the elementary school level, a little less on the middle school level, but we don't see the end result. Um, graduating classes are just about as, uh, the same in terms of uh, college readiness as they were 30 years ago. And uh, also uh, programs are not working so many places. Uh, where dropout rates are some places as high as 40%. So um, I think that the approach of just throwing more money at the system, uh, I think that's where we where we where we draw the line. Um, uh, we, we're not supportive of the teachers' unions um, because they're not they they're not in favor of performance based. Uh, 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 rewards. So mm-hmm. I'll stop there for now. Okay. And Jonathan, you want to answer that also? Yeah. Um. So, so when you talk about uh the differences, like I guess the partisan differences uh, or the ideological differences, I'm gonna agree with Mr. Goulin that uh, they're very few and far in between. Uh, uh, like you said, we've been throwing money at education. We've We've thrown about $2 trillion into education if you, uh, since about 1965 um, during the presidency of uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. Right? So in, in that, during that time, you've seen, uh, seen the presidency follow the pendulum swing, right, back and forth, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. We have, we've, had, we've had Reagan. We've had Clinton. We've had the Bushes. You know, we've seen... Uh, different ideo- different ideologies rise to the office, but you still see the same uh, practices, right? Just throw money into education, throw money into education. Now, is that a completely bad thing? No. But is it the answer? No. Uh, I would agree that it, that throwing money is is not the answer. Uh, we need to start thinking about but is privatization the answer? That's that becomes the question. Uh, even if you look at uh, uh, what is it? Is it it's a Victory Christian Center school. Am I correct? Yes, that's the name of it. You know, the, the issue becomes when you privatize things, uh, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you bring about exclusion. So uh, to privatize something means that certain people can have it and certain certain people can't. Um, I, the perfect uh, 
that that goes for everything from businesses. That goes to what we've seen with the attempts to privatize health care, car insurance. I mean, you name it. When things become privatized, there becomes issues with exclusion. So uh, I believe your school has tuition. Yes, that is correct. So what happens when students who want to go to this magnificent school can't afford the tuition and don't qualify for the financial aid? Yeah, I think it's, it, it, it's uh, of course, of course, we would love to be able to provide the service at no charge. Um, the, you know, uh, to tell the 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 truth, it it really is is um, a sad thing that um, not only for our school but other schools that children want to get in. Um, but uh, you know, there are some who would never be able to probably put a dime. Uh, that's probably exaggerating, but you get my point. Toward um, their child's uh, uh, tuition, but I think that liberalism is a major uh, issue when it comes to that as well, because um, when you look at the Per student spending, um, I, I don't I don't know what it is right now. I know that uh, uh, five years ago it was about ten thousand dollars exactly per student. I remember uh, when it was eight thousand, and we had a, a big issue about the vouchers, and that's when uh, Barack Obama was coming into office. Um, my, my my thing is, if I do the math and I allow Students who can't afford uh, to uh, put their children into a private school it doesn't have to be a Christian school. Does it matter? Um, I'm not. I'm not. You know, on on that uh, issue. But if they want to put their children in a private school, why not allow the vouchers? Because if these people that are so financially strapped and they're such in such dire straits uh, can't do anything at all uh, where the vouchers may not pay the full tuition for uh, the majority of private schools. They may pay pay for some of the private schools, even at 50%, uh, $5,000. But that would leave. I would make smaller classrooms for the students who need those public school teachers the most. One of the things that the teachers' union is supposed to be about, one of their, uh, uh, one, a part of their platform, is to have smaller classroom sizes. And vouchers would, would would go a long way towards solving that problem. And how would it? How would the vouchers impact those uh, those students who need more services? The thing about vouchers in private schools is that the, the school gets to select, they get to cherry pick which students that they want to admit. My concern is about the least of those. What about those students that are not selected? Voucher in hand, but Victory still doesn't select them. What do you do with those students? Well, I, I think that at some point, at some point, you're definitely going to run out of private schools to to go to. I mean, it's just like uh, going to the movies. They're going to sell out of tickets. 
and and right. and sometimes there there there's going to be a selection done because of the environment that the school is trying to create. However, there are schools that uh, do cater, and I'm not going to name names uh, because I don't know if they would want me to per se. But there are schools that do accept types of students that some other uh, private schools do not accept in terms of troubled students, um, students with, uh, you know, major behavioral issues, uh, at-risk students, um, and those students generally are sponsored by some, um, you know, philanthropist who is uh, paying their tuition to those schools. I'm just not saying the name to those schools, but there is there are some in Charlotte, and um, they're more lenient and they're more patient and working with the children because they're they they're set up and they're small and they're designed to deal with just a few students and work with students like that. And then more schools like that will probably uh, arise um, because uh, the way capitalism works. When the uh, when when there's a need, um, there will be educators that will try to fill that need, and I know a few of them. Well, this is quite epic. I have a question. I want to go back to a comment you made about um, worldview and schools teaching children how to think, and you felt that that was a job that you know a job that's on top of the parent. But in this particular this world economy and the criticisms of No Child Left Behind versus the criticisms of Race to the Top where with No Child Left Behind, you were basically teaching children a test in order to get into school and Race to the Top was more of teaching children how to apply knowledge in order to be successful at those tests. So if you believe that um, teaching a child a worldview is wrong, how would you say that would affect college readiness, especially in this more global society that we live in. I struggled just a bit. I even took my earpiece out. I put the phone straight to my ear to try to understand what you were saying. So I'm going to ask you a question. Maybe you can clarify. Um, Are you uh, wanting me to uh, basically talk about uh, the differences between the No Child Left Behind and the Race to the Top and um, uh, expound on what I was saying about uh, uh, school teaching, uh, public schools teaching children how to think. I mean, I'm trying to. Uh, I think he was asking me, you to clarify how do you, how can you teach a child to apply knowledge without thinking, without teaching them to be global in their assessment, without giving them the freedom. To, to to view the world as an open and, and, and uh, accessible place as opposed to a, a strict religious point of view or as opposed to a structured biblical worldview when we live in a global and diverse society. Especially when it, when you're talking about college readiness, um, especially with middle school students and high school students. You know, right now, it's like I graduated from high school in 1995. So the world is much more global and interconnected than it was when I was in school because of social media and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So if you have schools that are that seem to 
shy away from exposing students to a more open worldview and not necessarily teaching them how to think, but giving them but giving them more stimuli um, in order for them to make their own choices, how do you think it would affect college readiness if you had an institution that was more sheltered, that was sheltering the students um, than, say, a public school would do? Um, well, I, I can speak first with, uh, with results, and um, results have been great for us. Um, I know that they're great for some other schools. Um, Charlotte Christian has great results. Um, uh, there, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, ways to talk about it in theory, but I think the results are um, that that uh, by and large, children who who move on succeed um, at the next level. Um, now, now, I think you know when you talk about the social things. Um, once again, um, uh, I just believe that uh, that uh, parents, it's the parents' responsibility to teach those types of things to um, to uh, help mold the child's worldview. It's just the way it is. I think that, you know, taking it... Um, um, uh, taking a child and and, and uh, exposing them to uh, whatever they need to be exposed to is up to I think it's mostly up to the parent. I mean, it's, the school can do it. I'm not saying that the school can't do it, but I think that what happens is um, when we start taking um, non-absolutes and making them Absolutes, and that's a whole different conversation. I mean, getting into details, I don't think we have time for that. But I think that um, you have non-absolutes, so you're taking them not um, and taking them um, as absolutes, and teaching them as absolutes in the schools. And I think it's making give an example to the listeners of a non-absolute and an absolute. Um, well, uh, things that are, um, you could say. Uh, uh, opinion, things that are things that are um, um, uh, uh, scientifically um, that scientifically don't meet the standards of the scientific method that are taught as facts. Um, there's there's different things to go into. There there is the uh, the liberal ideology. Um, that's being taught solely with no um, no countering uh, uh, thought, just the strictly uh, liberalism. Um, so, so uh, you know, it's, like I said, that's that's really a whole different discussion. You know, yes, it is. I kind of to say I kind of say generalities here. We Okay. in the direction that we're supposed to be headed in. That's like okay. a whole different a whole different call. Okay. <laughs> just just curious, does uh, Victory uh, School teach uh, creationism or evolution? Well, Victory teaches the principles of both. 
okay, um, if the school, the school being a Christian school and, and parents putting their child in there knowing that it's a Christian school, then the child is going to come out understanding both. Okay. Um, that I think that's the big difference, the biggest difference. Every child that comes to a Christian school doesn't grow up and be a Christian. Um, okay. But but one thing that they do is they they when it comes to to the question that you just asked, um, I learned the most about evolution in Christian school. Um, it's very very it was very important to uh, be exposed to both, which is both both principles. Now now you know you can call it intelligent design if you want and put it in public school, but there's no there's no opposing theory. Uh, and the theory of evolution is taught as law, um, you know, and it's not a scientific law. It's assumed because it doesn't meet the scientific method. If you take the scientific method step by step, you cannot prove it, and they're well, still working on that. Just out of curiosity, when you're, when you're teaching creationism or you teach evolution, are you only teaching the Christian creation myth or are you teaching the creation myth of other cultures and other religions. Well, creationism um, in the Christian schools is going to be taught from a Christian perspective. Okay. And then once again, that's the parent's choice to put them in that school. If okay. you wanted your child to go to a Muslim school and you wanted to learn it from the perspective of Islam, then you find a Muslim school and put your child in there. If you want your child to learn it from a Roman Catholic perspective, you put the child in a Roman Catholic school. I mean, so, you know, that, that once again, it's in the hands of the parents, the parents' choice. And I think that taking the choice of of however uh, 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 a child, sh- you know, uh, should be taught from the parents is not a good thing, you know, right. by, by imposing a strict non-absolute as an absolute truth and teaching that to a child is a lie. Okay, thank, thanks for your um, for your rebuttal. Uh, Mr. Collins, I have a question for you. In August of 2012, Georgetown started an article that basically said money can't buy genius, and it compared the amount of money per student that the United States spends. So, for instance, Japan spent about $8,000 per student, and the United States spends about $11,000 per student. So even with um, the president wanting to throw money, like you said, the problem, do you really think money, as far as resources are concerned, will fix this problem? Do I really think that money, uh, throwing in money, will fix the problem? Yeah. Well, there's two there's two folds to the question. Uh, so, though the first thing that we need to look at is like that we need to break down is this myth about the way the money works, right? Logistically. So yes, you have about ten thousand dollars per student, right? So earlier we mentioned this whole idea of maybe like taking. Like giving students physically, like these the ten thousand dollar price tags, and shopping them in, into different schools. That's what the what the voucher program initially is. But the thing is, it's not that the federal government actually puts a, it puts ten thousand dollars into each and every student. Actually, the majority of the way that the school funding works is that they're allocated based on property taxes, um, and those are local expenditures, right? So the student, the kids who live in the wealthier neighborhoods, they're Parents pay higher property taxes. Their schools get higher spending. So there's a actually there's a huge imbalance in between per pupil spending um, 
when you disaggregate it by neighborhood. So, right, if you were to look at it that way, and you look at if you were to look at the students who were actually achieving the lowest, they're not getting ten thousand uh, dollars spent on them per pupil. Um, actually, it's it's drastically less. I want to say it's around uh, five thousand dollars, maybe less per per pupil spending uh, in areas uh, that are uh, that are that tend to be uh, higher in poverty rates, right? So um, that's that's one issue. Now, is spending the answer? Uh, no, right? So we, we've even seen with title the Title One program initiated by the No Child Left Behind Act, right? This is the this is the specific part of the policy that threw an extremely high amount of money towards the most impoverished schools that were performing the lowest. And we saw pretty much no improvement from those schools, right? Mm-hmm. So the question becomes, you know, if it's not money, then what is the problem, right? Um, and that's when, like, the civic engagement and that's when developing our communities uh, really yeah. becomes the problem, right? So we need – you can't legislate um, better communities, better neighborhoods. I mean, because you, you get into the logistics of maybe why some of these students are underperforming. Well, when you have to worry about things like safety – or when you're when you're, when there's uh, when there are health issues that aren't getting that aren't getting treated, um, when there's issues with students' uh, dietary needs and nutrition issues, uh, when you have to worry about all these things uh, in front of your education, uh, it's difficult to perform at the same level as students who don't have to worry about these same issues. Right. So we need more more policy on the local level that's going to sort of move a lot of these obstacles out of the way of the students um, that are preventing them from learning. Right? Um, the teachers, they just want us to figure out ways to help them do their job. You know, they don't want, them, they don't want us to do, do their job for them, right? And that's the direction we need to move in. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Uh, Collins. Um, it may sound like uh, Taquan and myself and Carl have all the answers, and we're not the only people on the phone. I'm going to pause now to see if any of our callers have any questions for you. So we're going to take a brief pause and see if any of our callers are welcome to to ask our guests any questions you may have. Okay. And we're going to give them about three seconds before we jump right back in. All right. I, I have one question. Um, for disclosure, I come from a, uh, I guess, a financially disadvantaged background. And um, throughout all of my like, upbringing, it was like, go to college, go to college. you got to go to a four-year college. And that, I guess, was the, the the paradigm for when I was matriculating through the system. But the world has changed, and I was mentioning earlier about a STEM-based society. And from all of my research, it seems as though a junior college and maybe even retooling high school would be more appropriate to prepare our students for this STEM-based economy as opposed to uh, encouraging a lower-class or working-class student to acquire uh, enormous student loan debt just to go to a four-year school and still be ill-equipped for today's economy. Mm-hmm. What if I'm going to imagine that if you were the secretary of education? What would how would you change the current system to be responsive to the current economy? And I want to know how you would encourage lower class and working class students who are struggling to be successful, how can they succeed in this economy and in this new education system? Okay. Yeah. I, I wanna 
Do you want me, uh, you got it, Joms? You want me to you want me to go first? Uh, I think uh, I want to miss the goal. Yeah, I want to miss the goal. Then Mr. Collins. Okay, go for it. All right. Um, if your secretary Google right now. Right. Okay. Exactly. I think I think that the difficulty of of, of it is I'm a conservative. So if I'm secretary Google, um, I'm going to. Uh, create a program that's geared uh, twofold. One, um, to the parents. Um, uh, researching ways to get the parents more involved. Uh, I know when I was in um, public school, I went to one of the underprivileged uh, type of schools right after uh going to one of the, uh, honestly, better schools, public schools. And so I saw firsthand the difference in the way the parents um, uh, treated the importance of the education. Uh, Hello? I I, I don't think that... Hello? Mr. Gould, are you still with us? Mr. Collins, are you still with us? I am. Well, I guess you're on uh, until Mr. Gould comes back. Okay. Uh, Secretary right, Collins, how would you how would you uh, design a system that encourages achievement with the, from the lower classes and the working classes, and also prepares them for a new STEM-based, service-based economy? Well, if you know, if I were Secretary of State. Uh, I think we need to go a more um, go to a, go take a simpler route. Go. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Back? Yeah, it was dis it was disconnected. Um, said all circuits were busy all of a sudden. Kicked me out. But uh, I, I'm 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 let me finish my point real quick. Um, okay. Is that the that when I was in the uh, when I was at the, the 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 less privileged school, I did see the older books, I did see the lack of computers. Um and we're talking about nineteen eighty like like eighty two, eighty three. And uh you, you know, you leave for school in a uh let's just face it, a white neighborhood and you have computers in that time. You have PCs in that in that time and you go to West Boulevard the next school year and you 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 know you go from a full size gymnasium to a half size gymnasium. You go from a well groomed uh, playground, uh, you know, uh, weeded grass cut, uh, mulch on the ground, everything, to just a patch of dirt with some old swings. And you go to you know uh, you go to these schools and you see the big difference. There, but I think the thing that caught me the most, because I didn't catch that when I was that age, I didn't really recognize that until later. I didn't recognize that until I looked back. But one thing I did was when I stood up, um, when I was at a at a uh, at a meeting at in the when I was at the uh, I think it was a PTA meeting, and I was at the uh, at the at the white neighborhood school. Uh, my black parents were the only black parents in the whole auditorium. And 
I remember that. And I remember noticing that. You know, and and what I'm saying is that my number one objective would be to try to get more parental involvement. Okay. Um, and that would be first through research. And then number two would be to try to get the teachers' union um, uh, power minimized and reward teachers for performance and not tenure. Okay, Secretary Collins? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I was beginning to say, uh, you, know, you, you take a route to just simplify things because um, now I feel like everything is relatively chaotic, right? So I, the, the biggest thing that I would do is just try to connect the dots, right? We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of resources that are there, they're scattered, they're and, and they're sparse, right? And things just really need to be um, connected together. So we look at um, we look at a lot of schools who might have like. Uh, lower, uh, they may have like a lot of students who come from lower income socioeconomic homes and uh, impoverished backgrounds, or may not be uh, in, sent to the best schools, right? So you think about uh, the nonprofit organizations that are working in this community day in and day out. Uh, you have institutions like the churches that are in these communities that have really, really great people that have been dedicated to helping kids for years and years and years. Uh, you have um, federal grants and state grants. You have colleges and universities that are spaced out throughout these communities as well, full of young and eager college students who maybe just need to be roped in. Right? So you just need to tie, you know, all these things together. Why couldn't we have more scholarship programs um, for students in the universities to work in our communities and work with our kids that are perform that are performing up to par? Right? I, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect win-win for everybody. Students who are having trouble financing themselves, um, they get they get the financial aid that they need in exchange for a service to their own community. So they're helping build up the students as we go along. Right? That's one thing. Another thing is to develop our community college system. The, the, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was that um, you know a lot of students can't afford to go to these big fancy four-year universities. Right? Uh, some of us have to start at community colleges, two-year schools, get an associate's degree, get the training there, and then and then branch on to a four-year universities. Or some people can't even go to – some people need to go to trade schools, vocational schools. You know, there's there's going to be variation there. The issue with uh, with junior colleges has been lately that the the uh, the completion and transfer rates into four-year schools, especially for minorities, has been terrible. Actually, if you look at the numbers, there are more students – there are more there are more black students enrolled in Chicago area junior colleges than there are students enrolled in all of the historically black colleges and universities combined. And that's extremely problematic because we're pushing How students. Problematic in. If, if, if it's problematic because him. students aren't finishing. We're putting students into these programs. There's, you shouldn't be in a junior college for six years. We're putting our students into these programs, but we're not equipping the schools with the resources they need to guide the students in and so, out so the and issue onward into that career. Not in the right first. programs, or is the issue that they're in junior college? Because uh, was, uh, yeah, the issue I'm is sorry, that I'm the junior sorry. college, that the issue is that the junior colleges 
are doing all they need to do to get the students out and get the students either into four-year universities or into their careers. Okay. Okay, thank you. So we need more support for our junior colleges. We need more administrative help. We need more guidance counselors. We need more, uh, we need more assistance, people who are going to work more hands-on with our college, junior college students. Okay. Sounds I good, Secretary Collins. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I just wanted to – I like the fact that you address student debt and, uh, and, and the loan burden – I really didn't hear Secretary Gould speak on that issue, so if you could, Secretary Gould, well, imaginary Secretary Gould, how would you address the student debt problem? Well, as far as, like, student loans and things like that, I think, you know, um, education uh, is not free, and um I think the most important thing is not the loans itself and the debt itself, it's how the debt is administered. If if a kid graduates from college with a significant student loans and he doesn't have a job, um, as long as he's able to show that he's not working, it's not, not getting a Substantial or reasonable income. I think there should be a a minimum income uh, that should be put in in place when it comes to pub uh, or government loans. Uh, you know, I, I can't you can't really control what private institutions do when they loan money. But I mean, when the uh, not because you're off the school, but government loans do do that. I mean, you could defer um, government loans pretty much until. No, you're right. Able to pay, or you could just pay you're, off the interest. But you are right that with private loans, you don't have that option. Right, but if I would, I would do more to encourage um, two things: the private lending to do a better job, and then for the government lending, I think they should they should uh, have a limit. In other words, if you if you are making under a certain amount, oh, okay. uh, then you should not they should not automatically force you to pay significant amounts. Like, like I know someone who uh, was making poverty-level income, and they were taking uh, $200 a, a month out of their account. Um, and so, you know, that that kind of thing is not it's not good. You're putting a heavy a heavy burden on on a person who, uh, especially in this type of economy, who may have graduated with a Business degree and is now a a, a, a nighttime uh, stalker at, at Walmart. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah, it's just because because the jobs aren't there. I think I think the it's the way the loans are administered that are the biggest problem. And then also the interest, the interest uh, could be uh, suspended as well. Um, that that makes a big difference. I don't I don't believe that 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 we shouldn't loan the money, and I don't believe that they shouldn't pay it back. But I believe that because uh, of the way the interest compounds um, and the way that they uh, uh, force people to pay the loans back, sometimes in difficult circumstances, I think we should change that. Okay. It sounds like it's still a, a loan-based uh, uh, type of aid. And, and my personal opinion is that, that you're the people who 
end up relying on loans, uh, they need those loans. And after they actually acquire the education, they're straddled with those loans, and that's just a further burden to keep them from moving into the middle class. I think I'm more aligned with uh, imaginary Secretary Collins' <laughs> proposal whereby there be some type of uh, service requirement to where the loan is forgiven in some type of way. Um, I'm going to go ahead and segue and give it back to our moderator, uh, Ms. the wonderfully capable Ms. Cara Pearson. Actually, we're coming to a close. It was a quick hour. We've got a lot of information in. I wanted to thank uh, Jonathan Collins and John School for being on In My Opinion. You guys are great tonight. Sorry for the uh, disruption at the beginning of the show, um, but you guys are in there. Um, also, just wanted to keep you guys posted. Uh, check us out and like our Facebook page at In My Opinion TV, and we'll be back in another two weeks. Um, for another segment of In My Opinion. Thanks again for listening. Have a good evening. <laughs>